Hey, it's Greg Grunberg, uh, Snap Wexley from Heroes, and Commander Finnegan of Yorktown from uh, a little thing called Star Trek. And you are kneeling before the pod. Kneel Before Blog presents... Kneel Before Pod. Welcome to another Imperial edition of Neil Before Pod. We're back talking about Star Wars again since there's a new film just out. I'm your host Craig McKenzie and I've brought together a small but brave band of rebels to discuss the latest entry in the Star Wars canon, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Leading us in back there with his endorsement is Greg Grunberg, a man who has been in Star Wars and failed to remember his character name from Heroes, but he seems to remember his name from Star Wars, so that's probably better. So joining me on this top secret mission is Chris. Hello. And Kat. Hello. My merry band of rebels. We're going to steal some information. What information? I, I don't it. know. <laughs> I love this. I love that we're rebels. I, I think <laughs> I think I'd be a rebel if I was in the Star Wars universe. I'd, I'd like to think that I'd be brave enough. Um, yeah. What about you guys? I, I think I'd probably I'd join the dark side. They've got beer. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd be a rebel, but I'd be one of the rubbish ones in the background doing admin and paperwork. <laughs> Hey, don't diss the admin and paperwork. They're important things. They, they keep the cogs moving and the rebel alive. Yeah, lives. exactly. Well, we all diss the paperwork until there's nobody there to do any. And then it's <laughs> like, ah, that's that's needed. So yeah, no, that's that's still a valiant, valiant place to be. I think. Yeah, I think I'd just be loyal to the Empire. Although I'd probably try and stay away from Vader because he has a tendency to choke if you make a mistake. So. Yeah, that's he's not a fun boss, is he? Uh, there's no second chances. There's no mm-hmm. first stage disciplinary. It's straight to the choking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a fan of of that of that method of discipline, to be honest. No, doesn't inspire loyalty, really. No, not no, really. no. Your career advances pretty fast in his presence because you know all the management above you uh, disappear <laughs> on rapid fashion. Yeah, <laughs> your, it's career, when be- career progression is awesome. It's when your reporting line is directly Vader. That's the end of your career. Mm. Well, you know you've reached your peak. Yeah. It's like, well, at least I'll be retiring soon. Sort of. Oh, God. I'm one mistake away from termination. Yeah. Okay, we haven't talked about the film at all. So Rogue One, the first Star Wars side story, is out, and it's, the public are consuming it in their droves. It's making money hand over fist. Uh, we've all seen it, because that's why we're here. Um, what are the thoughts for um, without spoilers? Kat, do you want to go first? Being the yeah, let's go for well, ladies first. Let's go for that. Um, yeah, so I enjoyed it. It didn't rock my world. Um, it, it didn't really change how I feel about Star Wars or A New Hope, or in fact, you know, like any facet of the franchise. Uh, but it was fun. Um, I have a feeling that it might merit from another watch because uh, I did I did go into it a little frazzled straight from work and stuff. So I think that if I was a little more, you know, kind of relaxed, I might be able to enjoy it more. Um, it's definitely one for the old school fans. 
there's lots of Easter eggs there for people to recognize and geek out over. So if you, you know, are a hardcore Star Wars fan or, you know, have been watching this since your childhood, then this is your movie. Like, as much as The Force Awakens kind of catered to both old and new watchers alike, Rogue One, I think, in my opinion, is very much a fan, a, a movie catering to the fans. Um so new, new people might feel a little bit lost. Like, I'm not particularly savvy with Star Wars trivia. So for a lot of it, I was like, oh, they're making a reference here, aren't they? Yeah, that's a reference. Oh, okay. Um, and there was a particular bit, which I'm hoping to discuss in the spoilers uh, part of the podcast, that confused me timeline-wise. I wasn't sure that that certain certain characters should be there when they haven't met yet. But in any case, you know, like that's that's basically like non non Rogue One territory. Um yeah, I mean overall I had a good time and yeah, I I kind of fell for all these characters bit by bit because we, we start off not really knowing anything about them and as the movie goes on we do and you know they're they're a good bunch, bless them. Um yeah, I I liked it. What about cool. Chris? Well, I, I enjoyed it as well. Um, I didn't feel the same nostalgia kick that I felt when I went into um, Force Awakens. Mm. I don't know if it's just because, you know, it didn't have the John Williams music in it. It, it doesn't have a, a sort of the opening crawl sequence and stuff like that. But um, I did enjoy the film. Um, I, I liked some of the new characters that they introduced. It was it was very sort of action packed, different, uh, really from the the normal Star Wars universe that we see. Yeah, um, I'd agree. I think it was different enough while also being the same. Uh, I was I really enjoyed it. I mean, the first time I saw it was at midnight, and I was kind of digesting it afterwards. And I ended up seeing it again, and it's definitely better on a second watch because I was able to absorb so much more of it. But I agree with what you said, Kat, about it being the, um, you know, something for the fans. It's uh, everything there's geared to, well, lead into a new hope. So it is definitely one for people that love the original trilogy, and there's so much in there that you can sort of feel at home with I think and I was more on board with this than I was with Force Awakens I would say I liked it a lot more I know controversial statement what what <laughs> I have to say that Force Awakens definitely rocked my world like um it 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 got me into Star Wars when I was a bit indifferent into it um whereas this like I I, I was kind of already there but I was like Sorry. Yeah, I but, definitely liked Force Awakens, but I wasn't over the moon about it as others uh, seem to be. Mm, okay. Yeah. So, that's our initial thoughts. I think we should make calculations for the jump to spoiler space. Well, there's going to be a lot of these kinds of references, by the way. Brace yourself. <laughs> Have you been writing these puns, Craig, in your spare no, time? No, no, they're, they're just coming straight are, out. Re- really? Honestly, Craig? Yeah. Or are you <laughs> sitting there with a script? Unplanned. Unplanned, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just that witty. Whoa, pun master extraordinaire. Yeah, I know. Oh, <laughs> uh, excuse me, I need to find my other bit of paper. Uh, <laughs> no. Okay.
now we can say what we like. So, I guess the first question is, are Star Wars side stories a good idea? I mean, all we've really had up to this point is the main saga stuff and the Clone Wars animated film. So we're kind of been circling the Skywalkers, if you will, for the, the entirety of this franchise, if you've stuck to the films. Mm-hmm. So is exploring the side of it in high-budget films a good idea, or is it just Disney slamming it in our faces until we're sick of it? Frankly, I think that, the as you said, with the Skywalker thing, um, I would like to get away from that. Because... Um, the, the, the more we circle the same kind of characters and the same stories that we already know, the less I care, you know, because we, we know this already. Like, you know, at the risk of, you know, sounding overly critical of Rogue One, because we knew where it was going, I found it very hard to invest in the fate of these characters because I knew, I knew what was going to happen and it did happen the way that I thought it would. So it was like, well... Okay, <laughs> so that's that. Um, you know, it was it was a c- kind of a very familiar story without having known it necessarily. I don't know that that this particular kind of side story is a good idea. I think it would be great to see more of the the expanded universe that is now not canon that used to be novels and comic books and video games and what have you. Um, I hear actually really good things about the Star Wars video game, the, the um, MMO. I don't know if you guys play that. Hey, which one? There's like millions. Uh, oh, I don't know. The new one. <laughs> <laughs> she says cluelessly. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I know, I know Battlefront was, was fun as far as my, my friends are concerned. Uh, a lot of people enjoyed that. Yeah, that's the only one I know of. There was the Old Republic recently, which is a massive multiplayer online thing. Oh, yeah, that I'll... one. That's the one I was thinking of, yes. <laughs> I yeah, have I played, played a it. Bit. I have played a bit of the Old Republic um, uh, for a while, and I, I, I really enjoyed it, actually. But once you sort of uh, leveled your characters up, there wasn't much to do sort of after that point. Oh. So I believe they've added more expansions and things onto it. I've not played it since the expansions have come along. Mm, okay. Yeah, and the the, the precursors to that game, uh, the Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2, they were uh, pretty excellent. I played both of them and I really enjoyed them. And mm. I've played another, a, a bunch of Star Wars games over the years. You know, um, Pod Racing, for instance. Episode 1 Racer, the best thing to come out of The Phantom Menace. One of the best racing games I've ever played. Mm. On the old N64. Well, I used to have uh, Droid Works as well, where you could build your own droids. <laughs> pretty good fun so, so I mean, yeah. re- regarding like side stories what what kind of side stories would you guys like to see because i know that you are sort of more more into into the the universe than than i was i'm i'm pretty much a newbie like consider me like pretty much a fresh fresh entry into this yeah. So, you know, I think, I think the, the side stories are a good idea because they sort of fill the gaps in between episodes, both time-wise, physically, because, you know, they're not going to be able to get the episodic films out each year. But also, they sort of fill in little gaps in the story. I mean, this one uh, fills in sort of one of these questions that people have asked for ages, which is, why would this sort of design flaw end up in the Death Star kind of thing? Mm. And now you yeah. finally you finally know, oh, it was put there on purpose. 
Um, but you know, I, I I sort of worry about you know too many origin stories of characters that we already know, and I, I think I'm a bit like you, Cat. But I'd like to see other bits of this universe. Mm. Yeah, it's such a huge universe that um, is really diverse, and it can be explored. I mean, all the the games and uh, novels and everything have proven that. You know, you can go outside the the established. Skywalker family tree kind of thing and and create some really interesting stuff. I watched the Clone Wars cartoon and while that did follow Anakin and Obi-Wan and so on, it had other characters that would branch off to now and again. I watched Rebels and they're never in it. The You know, Anakin, well, Anakin's Darth Vader during Rebels and Obi-Wan's in exile. So um, it's all like new characters that you follow around. Um, in terms of this story, I think it was a good enough idea. I mean, it's one of those, you know how it's going to end, but it plays out like a, a almost a Shakespearean tragedy in a lot of ways because, mm. you know, you want to, you're just seeing how these people end up and you know, but they accomplish something important, so there is merit to that. In terms of other stories like Han Solo for instance, I'm not really interested in his origin story. Are you not? That's that's controversial. Yeah, I feel like I know enough about the guy, you know, from the film, so I don't really need to see him complete the Kessel Run and 14 parsecs and all that stuff. What's it going to tell me about Han Solo that I don't already know? Well, I mean, I think they're going to, you know, they're going to end up showing how he got the Falcon, how he met Chewie, and they're they're going to do a lot of that kind of thing, I think, through the film. But, you know, my my thing is, you you know, you've got to sort of look past origin stories. I mean, they keep they keep talking about, oh, we're going to go to this character and what's their origin. That I I would like to see something set in the Star Wars universe that doesn't particularly involve the battle between the Empire and the Rebellion. Yeah, you just know, some smuggler off somewhere doing something. You've got smugglers, or you've got another sort of uh, uh, epic going on, a big traveling story or trade or whatever they've got going on. That, that so he takes it apart and shows what day to day is more like, uh, and takes it from the ground. I think that'd be great. As far as this story, I actually enjoyed it. I think it, it sort of filled in a bit of a blank. Yes, you know how it's going to end. You know the plans get, you know, finally make it onto a ship with Princess Leia on it. You know, you know that's going to happen at some point. But the fact that you've not seen many of these characters before means that there's a sort of sense of jeopardy that you wouldn't get necessarily if they had included a lot of the characters that you, you sort of know in the past. So there's a little bit more jeopardy, a little bit more of discovering them uh, through the film. Yeah, and I think I think the side stories create an, a unique opportunity to play around with tone as well because you've got that kind of uh, Buck Rogers-ish adventure tone, that, you know, in the, the other seven films. But in this one, you've got more of a World War Two epic kind of thing, you know, like the Guns of Navarone or something. Um, so you get to see a, a different tone, something a bit gritty, or you know, um, I hate using the word gritty because it's used too often. But uh, these are like rebels; they're desperate people. They do things that are not quite above board and not, you know, questionable morally speaking. So you get to see this kind of people doing whatever it takes to survive, which you don't get in the the main films really. I mean, it pretty much opens with one of your your heroes, I suppose, uh, Cassian, uh, shooting someone in the back. Yeah, because he'll slow him down. You know, he'll slow I, him down, he won't escape. You know, you, you, you open with that. I which loved is... that scene. I loved that so much because um, it really just wordlessly showed us what this man is capable of. Yeah. 
just like instantly set, you know, like told us who this guy is without really telling us anything about where he came from and why he's like this, but he's like this and this is what you need to know. And just like, I think that was the moment that I, I was like fully invested. I was like, Ooh, yes. Tell me more about this guy. I want to know. Yeah. He's a survivor and he does whatever it takes so that he can get out. You know, he recognizes that the information he now has is important and he needs to get it out there. And to do that, he can't have a guy with one arm slowing him down, unfortunately. Though I do feel a bit guilty for um, Daniel Mays, the guy that played Tivik, because he's actually a really good actor. I like seeing him in all these different bits and pieces. Yes, and- I thought so too. I've seen him in, on stage and stuff, and I was like, oh, hey, oh my gosh, is he going to have a big part? No, no, he's not. <laughs> yeah, that, that was it. I was like, what a waste oh. of such a good guy, because the thing is they can't really bring him back in anything now, unless he sort of pops up somewhere else in another one of these sort of origin story type things. We can such see a, a good film actor. about how he came upon that information. <laughs> That'll be the next one, yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was sort of like, oh, oh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with this guy, because you know, even if he's only in it for 15 minutes or whatever, he'll be really good, and he's shot and gone, and I'm like, oh, what a waste. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That was my only bit about that scene. As sort of good as it was at setting up the character, it was kind of like, what a waste. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was kind of an actual problem with the film in general. There was a lot of characters. Even on the main, the crew, I suppose, you don't spend that much time with any of them. You know, they they all have their moment and they all get to go out in a blaze of glory, but you don't spend that much time with learning who they are, really. This is true, um, and the, I guess it's one of the weaknesses of the film that it has quite a large cast, and they're all new characters that we don't really know. And aside from sort of a log line for each of them, you know, like, this is this guy, and he is like this, you know, like, this is Cassian, he, he is the ultimate rebel, he will kill you if you don't you know, run fast enough because, you know, the the cause is what matters the most. Um, this is the pilot who escaped from from the base and, like, he wants to do something good with his life, you know, like that sort of thing. But then we don't really find out anything else of import and it's a bit underwhelming. Like, does that does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. it does, I think. And, I mean, obviously the, the opening 50 minutes or so of the film, you're jumping about from planet to planet, getting introduced to each of these these people or, or your sort of key characters. And that that's happening quite rapidly. I, f- I found it a bit tricky to follow initially, uh, where what planet they were on, <laughs> who was going where and doing what. You know, it sort of settles down after that first 15. But, you know, initially you're sort of getting introduced to quite a lot. Yeah, there's a lot to take in. And um, it is... It doesn't really spend any time introducing the galaxy as such. It just expects you to go with it, which I quite liked because I would hate, I would hate that we start world building from scratch just because people might not have seen the other films. It's clearly not an issue for the audience, um, considering how much money it's made at the box office. But you know, you could you could have seen a kind of almost a, a narrative pro- prologue where Jin talks about. And then the Empire rose, and then this happened, and now we're scattered across the galaxy or whatever. You know, you get that kind of personal intro where um, you find out that she was close to her parents and then separated from them. And that kind of, that's the only real world, world building you get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Kat, as someone that, you know, is, is invested in the sort of franchise already, how did you find it for the introduction point of view for the universe? For the universe, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I would start with this 
chronologically, even though it is technically the first in the timeline. Um, What's the fourth mainly, in the timeline, technically? <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ha, huh, yes, we all intentionally forget about the prequels. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I... But it varies in tone quite a bit uh, from the others, uh, which is refreshing. And a lot of people have been saying how, like, it's that's its strong suit. Its strong suit is that it's different than the other films. It has, you know, a bit more darkness to it, a bit more um, sort of, you know, like recognizing the devastation of this war and, you know, kind of recognizing that these people just want this war to end whatever in whatever way possible um which i suppose you know don't we see that in the other films too i think we do um but i see the point of view that you know this is the first film where you know because we are watching the underdogs and we know that they're not going to have a good end um it's a little it's a little more bleak as you said a shakespearean tragedy um because it doesn't end well for them um even though we want it to as an introduction, I don't know. I don't know that it tells us everything. My problem with the, with the tone of the film is that it assumes we know a lot of things, which, yes, we do, because we come from, you know, a place of having watched the rest of the movies, and, you know, this is the gap filler kind of movie. Um, I think that because, because of that, it lacks that sense of... Um, just, I don't know, wonderment about the world that the other films kind of have. I don't know. I, th- I think the other films have that a lot a lot stronger. Yeah, the, the other films are certainly more heroic, I suppose. You know, the characters are very, very righteous and, you know, they're, they're forging ahead with their, their cause. But this one, it's kind of people are tired and, you know, they're beaten and they just, yeah, they, they want to, they want to be free of the empire, but I guess there's a sense that there's it's a losing battle at this point. You know, everyone's mm-hmm. just kind of waiting for the end, I suppose. And it is, yeah, it's very bleak and it's very different. But again, that's that's what you can get from a diverse universe like this. And I think if they spent 20 minutes telling you how the Star Wars universe works, it would have really dragged the thing down. Oh, certainly, yeah. I don't think that I would have enjoyed that at all. Yeah. It, it is what it is. I wouldn't want it to be something else, absolutely. Yeah, but it's kind of good that it exists in in isolation while also assuming knowledge. You know, and it's, it makes it episodic in some way. You know, it's like an episode mm-hmm. of a TV show in in that sense. You know, people don't like that with films, I suppose, but I don't mind because I'm usually watching them all anyway. So mm-hmm. I think it fills a good knowledge gap. Um, you know, where where you're sort of going, well, how how did they get the plans? And you you, you sort of find out through it. And I think finding out through sort of the eyes of uh, uh, Jin was was quite good. You know, they managed to build a decent enough story around it. When it was sort of built as oh, the, it's them finding the plans for the Death Star. I sort of didn't think there was going to be as much of an interest in there. But yeah. mm-hmm. the the fact that they sort of built it around this, uh, you know, a daughter trying to find her father and not so much free him because you know he is free, but you know still under the clutches of the Empire. Really, yeah, he's in the gilded cage. Yeah, he's, a, he's in a gilded cage and he sort of needs his name cleared. He's been forced to build this against his will, but, yeah. you know, everyone everyone thinks he's doing it freely. 
Yeah, it also gives you a sense of dread about the Death Star that you didn't get in A New Hope, because A New Hope's a, a bit of a romp, so they run around on it, and then it blows up a planet, and it's like, well, that was a problem, so we need to get rid of this, and then they get rid of it. But in this one, it's kind of this thing that's literally looming on the horizon, and they, you know, it needs to be stopped because look at it, look at the, the potential it has to, you know, with even a, just a fraction of its power. So well shot, though. I mean, those those pictures of it coming over uh, Scarif at the end, where where it's sort of rising on the you know on the horizon in the background, just look amazing. Yeah. You know, and and despite the huge destruction, um, is it Jera or Jetta? The, the, Jera. the, the Jera yeah. at the beginning, where you, where one they destroy the city, and you're watching it from space, sort of rippling out. Uh, amazingly shot and just you know like you say fills you full of more dread before you know you knew the scale before where they said you know it's the size of a small moon and everything like that but once you sort of see it like that it's amazing yeah when it's blotting out the sun and things like that. yes yeah i have to say that yeah i completely agree with you guys seeing what the death star can do uh is a lot more poignant than being told what it can do and yeah like it, it was it, i think that was one of the coolest kind of bits in this film, um, and and I loved how a lot of of the characters in in universe, you know, they would say how beautiful the effect of it is that they would shoot these these cities, you know, blast them out of the out of the sky, um, and that looked beautiful, and it did. I mean, to us, you know, as viewers, the whole thing does. Yeah. But you know, like it's, it's it was just like really cool to see what it looks like to them. Yeah, because again, when Alderaan gets blown up, it's one shot and then it's gone. Yeah, you, so I mean, you I don't get that. I mean, you didn't know up until this point that the, the Death Star had a medium rare setting, you know? <laughs> <laughs> medium yeah. rare. Yeah, single reactor ignition, uh, or whatever he says it is. But yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's terrifying that it can sort of chip away at a planet. But it was quite good that the. Um, didn't fall into the trap of it blowing up a planet because when Alderaan gets blown up, it's um, that was the first time you'd seen its full destructive potential. So, yeah. um, continuity was very good. I think it kept in itself in continuity really well. It didn't step on any toes, I don't think, or nothing major anyway. Well, well, <laughs> with the, with the glaring, a glaring couple of exceptions, which kind of threw me off. Um, I know that we're going to address them eventually. Do you want to address them now? Go for it. Yeah, it's organic. Okay, so yeah. Um, so, yeah, the CGI'd characters, uh, the return of Grand Moff Tarkin, um, Peter Cushing spinning in his grave, probably. Um, <laughs> I have to say that I don't like it when they do this in films. Um, I didn't like it in... Um, like Captain America Civil War, when they, they de-aged Robert Downey Jr. I didn't like it in Ant-Man when they de-aged Michael Douglas. Um, and I didn't like it here where they, you know, just like brought this character back. Um, it, it just, he didn't look right. And, and it just kept jarring with me. Um, this is simply like on a visual level, let alone that on a narrative level, um, having Tarkin there kind of made um, Ben Mendelsohn's character, I forget his name. Krillick, I think. Yes, thank you, yeah. Uh, so it made him a bit obsolete. He was just kind of like... Krennic. Like, yeah, Krennic, thank you. Um, 
yeah, just like the, the, he was, the, he was the frustrated middle manager who like wants to rise in, in the ranks and can't because Tarkin is in his way. And it's like, well, why, why did we have him then? Like, what's, what's, what's the point of that? I don't know. It just kind of rushed me the wrong way. Like, I, th- I think it was a little clunky and fan servicey. Like, it was there on purpose to kind of placate the longtime Star Wars fans going, oh, see, see, I, we know this guy. We know this guy from A New Hope. Oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, like, right, okay, all right. I don't know. That was that was my take on it. Um, and also, I, I didn't really like um, that, the, um, the end, because... Oh, that's a, should I talk about the ending yet? Are we? Yeah, why not? Let's jump around. Yeah. All right, all right. So we'll, we'll we'll jump around. No timelines here, guys. Sorry. Um, so it. On the one hand, I really liked how the end of the film we go from taking the plants to um, the the shuttle that actually, but well, shuttle the mini spaceship that Leia is on. Uh, you know, like I loved recognizing that and going, "Oh my gosh, Leia's on that on that ship! Oh my god!" And then, like they recreated the corridors perfectly, down to the two guys having the same two lines that, that are the first lines in A New Hope. It was like, "This is great! Oh my god!" And then we get um, a CGI um, Princess Leia, and that just kind of ruined the last couple of seconds for me. Like, w- did we need this? They could have reuse the footage from the old film just like cut back to that and i think people would still have been happy um i don't i i don't see the need for cgi characters when we might have alternatives that would look better um yeah i mean because i don't think i don't think we're there yet you know with that final scene, the one with sort of Princess Leia in it, I, they didn't even need to show her face, to be honest. They could have run mm-hmm. into that room with her facing the other way and had the door close in front of you. You yeah. didn't need exactly. to see her we say anything. It still mm-hmm. would have ticked the box and going, oh, there's Princess Leia, that's the exact ship, oh, brilliant. And then that that's it. You know, they didn't they didn't need her to, to say a line in there. When it, when it comes to sort of uh, reanimating uh, Peter Cushion, um... I don't know. I'm 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 kind of split on it. The te- the technology still isn't 100% there. I mean, you can tell when you've got an artificial human in front of you. Humans are very very good at telling what's fake in that department. Wh- whether they should or not, despite the fact, I mean, I think they got the the blessing of the family in order mm-hmm. to do it. You know, and they got their permission. I I I don't think they needed them to be in it as much as he was. I think. You know, they they only really needed him to be turning up at the end, maybe, and doing a little bit. I was not expecting him to be one of the, you know, one of the main characters really through it. Mm-hmm. They they could have used it less and got the same effect, I think. Though it does, you know, it did give the Krennic character a lot more to work on because it sort of showed up all these inadequacies. You know, the fact that he's sort of really, really you know, desperate to be seen by the Emperor as doing a really good job and he's wanting his promotion, he's, you know, and he's he's unhappy that someone's going to come along at the last minute and take the credit for all his work. You know, it sort of gave that character probably more depth than it would have if he had been the boss of the Death Star and not had anyone to sort of report to as much. Yeah, I was kind of torn on it as well. I mean, it is kind of distracting because you can tell it's an animated face, albeit a well-animated face, but... Um, I, I liked it because it kind of let Tarkin be in it without recasting him, which is um, 
you know, which is kind of having your cake and eating it, I suppose. And they did recast him because it wasn't his voice. But um, and that technology, like you said, is still in its infancy. But if they don't keep using it, it'll never get better. So if you look at how it was used in, say, X-Men 3 and Tron Legacy and uh, Civil War and Ant-Man, it's kind of gotten better each time. I mean, we'll ignore X-Men Origins Wolverine because that was Patrick mm-hmm. Stewart wearing a paper version of his own face, it looked like, you know, but... Um, I think it looks really good here, but it does look kind of animated, so it's it's a bit difficult. And the Princess Leia one, yeah, she's kind of, she looks a bit too plasticky, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I was I was kind of glad to to see it and imagine if they get to keep using it, how good that could really get in say ten years' time. I guess at the same time, I don't know, like that that poses the risk of we'll stop needing actors then. It, you know, we'll be able to do everything just like digitally. So, you well, know, we still need to just, mocap, so there's that. <laughs> I guess, but it's, I don't know, it's, it's uh, the, uh, it's the age old argument. It's, it's the Simone argument. It's the Congress, you know, if you have you seen the Congress, the animated film? Yeah. Yeah, like it's, it's, I don't know, I, I kept thinking of that. Um, you know, like how we'll end up digitizing actors and their likenesses and then using them in the future it 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 unnerves me a little bit i'm not i'm not sure that i'd be i'd be 100 percent on board with that i think think you still get filmmakers who you know they want to use real people you know just like you've got people that want to use practical effects as much as possible and stuff like that so i don't think it would replace actors completely but they will get them writing in the future writing into their contracts and into their wills whether they want their image to be used in future films or not or their likeness Mm. to be used in future films because i think there'll be a lot of actors looking at that now going hang on a minute so even once i'm dead they can drop me into a sequel of a film Mm -hmm. you know and i i get nothing for it and my family presumably doesn't get anything for that and I don't get a say in what film I'm in. At the, at the moment, uh, an actor can pick up a script and go, nope, that sounds a bit rubbish. I would, I don't, definitely don't want my name to be associated with that. Um, where afterwards it's, oh, well, they've got a CGI version of you and they can just drop you in whatever whatever movie they want. I'm sure it's already in the Disney contracts, particularly the Marvel ones. I bet you it is. You know, if we get the technology to that point, we can use you after you're dead. Mm, it would be, it would be in, it would be interesting. I, I think there'll be a lot of agents and things looking at the wording of contracts and such, yeah. and and people writing their wills or rewriting wills to make sure that they can't be dropped in or, or their likeness cannot be used without their permission properly. Yeah, um, and I think it's used sparingly enough here because if they used it much more, it would have just been, you know, really terrible. If um, if Tarkin had been in it as much as Krennic, for instance then that would have just been, oh, look, here's that video game character again. Why is he here? <laughs> you know, it would, have, it would have made the film a bit of a joke. But as a little kind of, he's in it a couple of times, you know, he's set up as a kind of antagonist. We know he needs to be involved because he's on the Death Star and A New Hope. Fine. Yeah, I, I, think, I think the, char- the character definitely needs to be there. Whether they should have recast rather than uh, use CGI, I'm, I'm not too sure. But um, the character, I think, definitely needed to be about. Otherwise, a lot of people would have gone, well, where, where's he? Because this is, you know, he should be on there by now, you know? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I would say it was more. The, the Leia thing was more of an Easter egg, and it was one of the Easter eggs mm-hmm. I had least problem with. The the one I had most problem with was when you saw the uh, the I don't like you duo um, hanging around on Jeddah like hours before it gets blown up. You know, when did they leave to go to Tatooine to chill out in the cantina? Right. Um, wasn't there a bit where um, R2-D2 and uh, C-3PO are together? Yeah, but they don't. But they don't meet until A New Hope. Yeah, so why they, are they together yeah. at the Rebel base? Yeah, they've been working together for some time, apparently. By By A New Hope, when, when yeah, because because three PO calls R two his counterpart. Yeah, yeah. He, he says that they've been they've been working together on and off for for a while. Yeah. Oh, um, okay. Though though C three PO's had his mind wiped, so he doesn't really know about much. But. Um, <laughs> But yeah, they did that. I mean, my, my my thinking was more they must they must have got on their ship pretty quickly before the fleet left. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I was thinking because they're on um, Leia's you know, ship. They're on Leia. Yeah. They're meant to be on Leia's ship, so you'd think that they would have already left or would have been with the fleet as it was leaving, rather than watching the fleet leave from uh, down on yeah. the planet side. Yeah, I liked some of the um, the cameos from uh, the X wing pilots and Y wing pilots from A New Hope. The, where they actually used footage that wasn't that like alternate takes that weren't used in a new hope. Obviously, really spruced cool. them up a bit, but yeah. Mm. So it was the same footage; they just cleaned it up. So um, it, it again, it lets you place it in the timeline. It's like, oh, I know that guy. I also know he won't die in this fight. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, there's 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 lots of other little little bits and pieces. I, I liked having. Uh, Bail Organa in the in the film as well, because that sort of ties the prequels in too. As, yeah. as much as people like to say the prequels don't exist in some in some circumstances, um, it sort of ties it all neatly together. I think. I was expecting more of him actually, because he's the only actor who's actually aged in sequence since <laughs> yeah, Revenge of the Sith to this film. So he's almost as much older as he would really be, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's it only in a couple true. of scenes. Which is I don't know. It's okay, I suppose. It, it was, yeah, it was a nice little nod, and the way he was introduced, you know, he got a John Williams uh, musical um, musical introduction, whereas many characters didn't. I mean, I did. Uh, I've got to say, I mean, as, as, as much as I did like the score, um, I, I do think having uh, the sort of John Williams score missing sort of took a little bit of it away from me for Star Wars. You know, oh, it just doesn't. Too, yeah. It doesn't feel like Star Wars without some of that. You know, the opening music or, you know, sort of Vader's march or anything like that in there. So it mm. took just a little bit of the nostalgia away. Obviously, with Rogue One, you've got the full Williams score and everything, which I think sort of sets you up in the universe a lot more. Whereas with this, as much as these films I know are purposefully supposed to stand apart, I would have liked just a little bit of that score in there. Mm-hmm. There was bits here and there, but yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't heavy. Um, I think Giacchino kept hinting at it more than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. It, it almost sounded like it was about to move into you know, a familiar tune and then it wouldn't. But apparently the score was replaced at like the last minute. Uh, they had a more traditional Star Warsy. No, they had a less traditional Star Warsy score and it got changed at the last minute. So I think that was like written on the fly, pretty much. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I guess Disney are just chucking their notes. It's like, this needs to feel more Star Wars, so try and do that. But 
I don't know what the original score would have sounded like. But on the subject of the wider universe, uh, there's actually quite a few Easter eggs to the cartoon I watched, Rebels. Um, you get to see the ship that they all live on in that show, um, in the, the final battle, flying about. And there's a reference to one of the characters on an intercom thing. And, um, That's really cool. Yeah, apparently the droid is kicking about, but I never caught it. So, uh, Oh, and the uh, Forrest Whitaker character was in Clone Wars and is going to be reappearing in Rebels. Rebels mm-hmm. is currently set about three years before this, I think. So, you know, there's plenty of scope for him to be about and to explain what he did that was not um, not what the rebellion wanted him to do and things. Yeah, he was he was a bit of a of a mystery, wasn't he? We didn't really grasp what 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 he was about. Yeah, I feel like there was a lot of him cut. It it does seem like something that was on the 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 chopping room floor. I mean, because yeah. consider, considering he's been doing the whole sort of press tour thing, I I was expecting a lot more of Forrest Whitaker in the in the film. Yeah, you know, con- considering that he sort of does these little bit of. You know, he does the little bit of interrogation. He has a chat to Jin, and then he basically just accepts his uh, demise to the Death Star, and then that's yeah. it. You know, it feels like one of those characters. That you're like, hang on, that wasn't enough for that guy. You know, <laughs> whether they're going to go and you know, obviously, like you say, they're, they're going to have him in Rebels and a couple other things, but whether they're going to go back and show him in another one of these side films, potentially. Yeah, you know, it's, it seems you know like another wasted character, really. Yeah, well, apparently Forrest Whitaker is going to be voicing him in Rebels as well, which I didn't expect. I thought he was maybe too good for that, or too big for mm-hmm. that. But no, he's going to do it. So I read that today, actually. I was quite surprised. So that'll be interesting to see for those that watch it. Um, I guess we should talk about the, the main characters and maybe start with Jin. Um, what did we think of Jin? Not the drink. <laughs> um, I... Hmm. She's a bit hard to to grasp in the sense that, like, we get we get her backstory, we get where she's coming from. Um, but apart from that, she doesn't really. She has she has a bit of agency, but not too much. Um, gets stripped away from her on multiple occasions. She's just like different people's prisoner. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, like, when she does decide to do something, she gets shut down until, you know, a band of men believe in her. And, you know, and it's like, okay, um, you know, like, like I, I don't really get a sense, a full sense of who she is. Um, and we don't really get a chance to, to, to know her more, because, obviously, at the end, that's, that's that. Um, at the same time, do we need, like, a... Hundred percent, like fully fledged new character, you know. And well, with that, with that larger cast, as I said before, it it would it would have been hard to get to get a hundred percent into any any of their backstories, really. Yeah, um, I, I liked that she, she wasn't was cool. interested in the rebellion at all at first. Mm. She was just she's just someone that lives in that universe and just wants to make it through the day more often than not, and doesn't want to get caught up in any cause whatsoever. So. Um, the fact that she's inspired to and she sees her dad's hollow image, I don't think it quite lands. It doesn't mm, quite yeah. work. Because, you know, an hour later she's talking about how rebellions are built on hope and she seems to have really, you know, swallowed the Kool-Aid 
Yeah, but, like five minutes ago, you were saying that like you you don't want anything to do with us, and problem. now you're like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I didn't quite click with the character for some reason. I don't know if it'd be better on a second viewing or what. And I mm. don't think it's particularly Felicity Jones's fault, but she just, I, I just didn't click with it. I can't put my finger on why. Um, but yeah, I, I, I wasn't a fan of the character for some reason. Um, mm. it, it, it's one of those things. But yeah, she, she does seem to swap modes rather quickly from. You know, I, I, I've got no interest in this fight between the Empire and the, you know, and the Rebellion. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go off and do my own thing. But now that you can help me get my dad out, come on and do this. And then she just completely switches around from that. But mm. I, I don't know. I, I, for whatever reason, the character just really didn't click with me. She was sort of part of the ensemble, which didn't do her any favours in that sense. And it just meant that she was kind of along for the ride, whether it made sense for her to be along for the ride or not. Whereas um, Cassian, I think, mm. you know, um, obviously it would have been another white male lead almost if um, if they'd focused on him. But his, um, you know, his character was a lot more interesting because he'd kind of, uh, he bled for the rebellion his entire life and, you know, fully believed in it. And um, I don't know, maybe there would be some sense that uh, the rebellion didn't care about him as much as he cared about it. But there was kind of a hint of that, but it didn't quite, Again, it didn't quite land. I did like him a fair bit, though. As I said earlier, like getting a very strong sense of who he is as a person um, helps. Like he he got that kind of introduction when the I think the rest of them didn't. Yeah. Like none of the others did to that degree. Like with that one action, killing that guy, like pretending that oh yeah yeah we're just gonna go back to the sheep no wait i'm just gonna shoot you in the back um just like that kind of like necessary ruthlessness that comes with war like to know that he's hardened that much by everything that he's done and seen that he would do this um just instantly like tells us so much um and also like his journey i felt was a lot more earned like when he he and and Jin and like that kind of sort of banter between them that leads to kind of both learning different things from each other um i think for him was a a, a much like better defined journey if you will than mm. than for her and indeed for the rest of the of the cast um of the ensemble um yeah i think he was definitely the highlight of the film for me um, yeah. And and Diego Luna like did such a good job. I loved him in this. Yeah, the only thing I didn't really buy from him was his reluctance to kill um, Galen Urso. You know, it didn't seem like it didn't seem like something that he would uh, give it a second thought about. You know, it seems like he was ordered to do this. Um, this guy had been responsible for building this thing. Even if he just kind of found out maybe that uh, it wasn't it, it wasn't quite as simple as that. I just. I feel like he might he would still have done it because mm. that's the kind of guy he is. But obviously, you needed to have that tearful farewell between father and daughter. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I found it quite confusing that he, he didn't take that shot. I found it more confusing that he didn't take a shot at Krennic when he was standing yeah. there with his sniper rifle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was it was sort of you know you're thinking why why is he not taking a shot at the pair of them? 
Um, you know, he has the opportunity to do some real damage there and doesn't for whatever reason. Um, because the plot needs these people. The, the plot needs these people later, yeah. I, I mean, I really like the character. I think he got a better journey than, than Jin did at the, at the end, really. He, he has the biggest turnaround, uh, whether, whether you think he would actually have that turnaround or not. Um, you know, I, I, I really liked that character. It was, it was one of the ones that, that did sort of click a little bit. He, get, he gets a pretty good introduction that shows he's a bit of a kick-ass kind of guy and he's going to get stuff done. Um, even even if it may be a bit murky, you know that you know it is a rebellion and it does you know these are well in in the eye of the empire these are terrorists. You know when you see the band of them at the end saying, "Oh, we've all had to do terrible things for yeah. for the rebellion." Yeah, um, he's a character that yeah he's a character that'd be good to see turn up in other side stories, maybe you know, but. I don't know what more he could do than he did here, I suppose, other than, oh, look, it's this guy. And it might just be one of those, like, he's in the background having a drink or something in another side film. Yeah, it, it, it would be interesting to see a little bit a little bit more of that character. I mean, it does make it a shame, kind of, at the end of this, you know, they basically wipe a lot of the, the characters that you've discovered off the map. Yeah. Um, but you know they they're not ashamed of doing prequels or anything. So the, the chances are they will hopefully, hopefully some of these characters will pop up again. You know he's he's sidekick K two S O. I I really liked the robot. I thought he was one of the more fun robots that we've had. Yeah, he's um, brilliant. I would definitely put that up up there with um, BB eight and R two D two and all that as a you know, as a, as a fun sidekick. And yet another one of the ones that I'm sort of like, oh no, it's another one that's dead that I really like, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's got, um, yeah, he's good comic relief, the robot, and he gets to uh, show competence when on missions as well. Which usually you get one or the other, you know, you usually, the funny character just usually bumbles about, but when it came time to really get to work, he was, you know, he was on board with it. And uh, Alan Tudyk is always good at voicing characters like this he's good at dropping a funny line yeah oh i loved i i think my favorite one was when she she shot the droid that looked just like him <laughs> and he went did you know that wasn't me and she was like uh, uh yeah totally <laughs> just i love that so much yeah i'm not sure if that was motion capture on set or not um alan chudik i don't know i don't know if he was having to walk about and do all that it would be definitely motion capture, I would think, but I don't know if it would need to be him that would do it because the droids move quite deliberately, don't they? You know, they all walk in a certain way because that's just how they're built. Yeah. I don't know if he would have done it. He did the mocap for, um, I forget the name of the robot, an iRobot, but he did the mocap for that, I'm sure. Sunny. That was go. it. Yeah. yeah. iRobot, that film. Yep remembered that and i've probably forgotten something really useful <laughs> <laughs> but uh there but goes yeah, your pin I number mean, <laughs> that's it um uh, um and that was I, I thought it was a fun character it was a, it was a good delivery and and yeah it's it's another one of those ones where you're kind of like oh there's there's another character that i would like to see again yeah um but whether that's one of the benefits of these sort of spin-offs is going to be that they can introduce a lot of characters and sort of get all these different performances out of people, I, I, you know, that you but might not get if you were putting them in. It plays into the tragedy angle. You know, you find out just enough about these people or droids to get you through this story. 
and you know you might uh, you might foster some kind of attachment to some of them, and then when they die, you're like, oh, I wanted to see more of them. Just 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 enough for you to care just before they yeah. slaughter them all. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought the the most moving death was Donnie Yen's character. I can't even pronounce his name, so I'm not even going to try. But uh, you know, I, I quite liked him. The I mean, he was underdeveloped, but he was supposed to be because he was this kind of mysterious sage, not quite Jedi character. You know, and he um, oh, no, believed no, in the Force and all that. And uh, and then when he dies, it was just. It was more his friend's reaction. There was a... They are such a great pair to to put together. Um, I'm I'm trying to remember the name of the other character as well, but the the, the pair of them were were one of my highlights. And his his introduction, taking out all those stormtroopers, yeah, is is one of my favourite scenes in the film. I think. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you guys, because there's been some talk. Uh, on the internet about these two being together together like a queer couple and that they might be um, the first sort of same-sex couple in the Star Wars franchise I wonder what you guys think about this um, yeah if, if you have any thoughts on this at all it didn't occur to me at the time I mean I got the impression they were close because they're close they're definitely close but I don't know. I don't try and label relationships in that way. When I suppose uh, they could have been, there's no reason they could have been. But equally, if they, you know, if they just tell you that they're really close friends, then mm. that's also the same. You know, it's doesn't really yeah. make that much difference, I guess. I don't know if it's just a really close friendship. I'd need to watch it for a second time with that sort of in mind and 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 try and read between the lines. But I, I yeah. just think it's a, a very a very close friendship. You know, you don't know how long that they've been working together at that temple before the Empire came along, really. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I just thought, like, because uh, I was kind of tipped off to this before going to see the film. And so I, I spent, like, most of the film going, where are they? Where are they? Like, I was trying to figure out who the gay characters were. And then, like, by the end of the film, it was like, oh, oh, it's them. Oh, okay. So it's not very overt. Um, and for someone like me who always looks for the gay in everything, um, I can safely say that I didn't I didn't see it from the beginning at all. Um, I think it's towards the end when, you know, one dies in the other's arms and, you know, like there's the, 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 there is a very strong emotional connection there, which the, the argument can be made for either side, like whether it's it's friendship or something more um, that they, they are definitely close, as you said, Craig. Yeah. Um, they could just be brothers yeah, like, to each other, you know, not biologically. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking. Yeah, there's no, yeah, there's no, there's no overt kind of side to that, which you know, because th- there was a lot of talk about it um, the, in the days that the, the first days that the film was out, and I thought, you know, wow, what have they done? This sounds revolutionary. And then you know, you watch the film, and it's like, well, actually, yeah. not really. No, like, I I don't know what what these people are talking about. Um, you know, like I'm not, I'm not denying that it could be, but if it is, it's a little underwhelming. Yeah, the, the internet that, likes that's my to. Too gay sense. <laughs> <laughs> the internet likes to ship people, though, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, well. we do. Um, <laughs> and I will put, and I will gladly put myself in that in that sort of pot. Um, but that being said, um, I don't know that it's. Yeah, like the, the, that. It's the internet's kind of. I think we're we're starved for that kind of representation, and so you know yeah. we're we're just kind of you know 
looking for it everywhere. Uh, whether that was intentionally there from the Star Wars team or not, but I don't think that um, there's been any kind of um, confirmation either way. So yeah, I don't think that we can safely say until the creators, you know, confirm one way or another. Yeah, I think um, in, in Star Wars anyway, uh, other than the, the main romances, I suppose, most of the characters seem pretty asexual. You know, they just don't, don't seem to be interested one way or another. But mm-hmm. um, there was, I don't know, I, I picked up on some slight hints that Jin and Cassian might be somewhat attracted slight to hints? one another. You call that slight hints? <laughs> you call that slight hints? <laughs> Uh, you know, there was longing looks. But that Come was on. Like, if they had, if this movie wasn't about this impossible heist and they'd had the time to, like, you know, proper, properly, like, have banter between each other, like, they could have been the new Han Solo and Princess Leia. Like, they were, it was, I think it was right up there in terms of dynamic. Like, the, you know, they, they hated each other at first, but then by the end of the film, see each other's kind of points of view. And, you know, I mean, die the most romantic death, like, you know, tragically holding each other while, you know, an explosion is coming their way. Like, it's, it's you know, I, I don't think that it gets more more overt than that. It's, yeah. <laughs> if, if, if a hint is, is a baseball bat to the head, then yes, they were, <laughs> they were hinting at that quite heavily. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Um, I just... Well, I didn't think they spent enough time with any of the characters to kind of establish those. I was I was glad dynamics. that they didn't do that. Yeah, because yeah. um, I think it's we're used to uh, action movies having that kind of um, th- th- that kind of sub narrative. Like that, there's always some kind of romantic subplot where you know unnecessarily two of the characters will find themselves just like drawn to each other at the expense of the plot or at the expense yeah. of you know like what what's actually important in the film uh so i was very glad that you know yes like these two characters were drawn to each other and you know who knows maybe they did fall in love by the end of the film but what's more important is this mission and like that that i think is very important in terms of just like narrative I don't want to say tendency, but just like, you know, like if this can influence future action movies, like, you know, like, can we have less sex scenes and more plot, please? Thank you. Like, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's my take on this. So yeah, like, absolutely, absolutely agree with you. You know, like, it's not very out there. And that's amazing. I think it's there. I think it's present um, in the film. But I like that it's not overpowering. I think that's very refreshing. Yeah, it's... And whenever some, like, when Force Awakens came out, people were trying to pair up um, Finn and uh, Oscar Isaac's character, Poe. And uh, yes. remember... Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it I'm was... Still, uh, I'm still on that camp, very firmly, planting was, uh, my feet on the ground there. <laughs> John Boyega said about it, uh, only, in, uh, only in Oscar Isaac's imagination or something. Okay. Yeah, and Oscar Isaac said um, that Poe Dameron has a lot of love to give. Um, <laughs> and so... You know, like we still hope we still hope that that might be a thing. It doesn't necessarily have to be. And of course, you know, like if they decide to take any of the characters, whichever way, um, you know, again, Force Awakens didn't have that overt dynamic between any of its characters, which was really, really nice um, because we could finally, you know, just like focus on what is happening rather than, oh, this this girl fancies this guy like like I don't care, (laughs) you know, so that's. 
yeah, like I really appreciated that for both of these films. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm looking down the, the character list. I mean, we've already talked about Saw Gerrera. He didn't do much. The uh, the pilot guy. Um, yeah, you covered it early yeah, quite Bodhi, well. Um, yeah, yeah. He was... I, I love Riz Ahmed. Um, just as an actor, I just love him. Um, and I'm really glad that He's been he's been getting a lot of work lately in different really cool projects. Star Wars mm. being one of them, um, and yeah, like I just I I thought that he was really funny as a character, um, really endearing as well. You know, um, one of my favorite kind of tropes is like someone from the dark side going to the light because they've seen the way, sort of thing. Yeah, I really appreciate that in stories. Um, and I think he did a really good job with it. I d- don't know how I feel about the tentacle scene. Yeah, um, you could have gotten rid of that and nothing would have changed. Yeah, like yeah. Th- that was very v- disconcerting, I think I'll say. Um, I don't know if there was, that. Yeah, I don't know if there was more of that cut. It, se- it seemed like a really random thing to have in there. You know, you could you could have just had them passing the information on, not being believed, and then ending up in the cell later. And like you say, Craig, nothing would have ended differently. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, he's out of sorts, isn't he, for five minutes or so, and then he's fine again. Um, yeah, and I quite liked his um, his determination at the end to get that message out. You know, and he was like, "We need to plug this thing into this other thing and and push this button." And you know, it was like it was very mechanical, but it was kind of like the I really want to prove myself as worthwhile to this cause. And mm. it's a small thing, but it was really, you know, it was really good that I guess that he'd seen the horrors that he was inf- helping to inflict and wanted away from that. I suppose, in a way, he's the he's the fin of this movie. Yeah, yeah, with far less screen time. No, oh, yeah, <laughs> and a lot more plugging in of things, <laughs> and just like I'm. I'm I, I was really concerned, like, when he first went, oh, we need a master switch. I'm like, oh, boy, what does that look like? Where is it? How do you know it's there? Like, how do you how do you know these things? <laughs> You're stressing me out, friend. I'm very stressed out right now. Can, um, can you imagine someone saying, oh, just you've got to run over that way and you've got you've got to find the master switch. Oh, what is it? Oh, it's a button on a panel which has about 100 odd buttons on it. <laughs> Don't worry, it's that really obvious lever on that panel that doesn't seem to be connected to anything else. But, with, a, uh, with a neon sign above it that says Master Switch. Yeah. But we'll send the blame guy for tension. <laughs> it's like, where's the button? No, no, it's over there. No, over there. No, to your other right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was... I mean, he was, he was fine. I don't think... Um, yeah, like everyone else, he had just enough to kind of make him part of the story without overpowering it i suppose and yeah they... again we we don't really find out much about him and his story uh apart from that just one element of him that like yeah. he was a pilot for them and he decided he didn't want to be anymore ran away etc um yeah. got they... given the message and, and and so on like yeah. yeah the rebellion general he um uh, general draven according to imdb Played by Alistair Petrie, he was. I thought he was really good because, again, he was that kind of the guy that makes the tough calls. Yeah. And and he's kind of well, he's comfortable with it, but he's kind of grizzled by it, which is you know, it's it's clear that he keeps himself at arm's length because he's kind of not quite comfortable with everything that's going on. But 
you know, on the flip side of that, Mon Mothma wasn't. She was just kind of there because we saw her in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. She doesn't really do anything. I mean, she spouts exposition when she needs to, but that's about it. I suppose someone has to. And they're, I suppose they're kind of side characters. I think that I there is so. a bit of sort of fan service type thing, you know. If if they weren't around, people would go, oh, well, it's not really, you know. They, they they could have had it where they were going back to a random ship somewhere and speaking to any ship captain who was relaying stuff back to yeah um, back to the you know the rebel alliance. But I th- I think it was good having them in. It sort of ties it into the universe in a grander way. It sort of is a little sort of here you go to the fans putting these yeah. characters in. Yeah, there's no reason for it not to be them. Yeah. And a uh, Krennic was supposed to be the main villain, but I thought he was a bit weak to be honest because. He had kind of so little to do. He was kind of running around trying to prove himself and he spent a lot of the film just trying to prove that other people were up to no good to advance himself, which is, you know, as you said earlier, Kat, middle management You know, he's kind of trying to step on other people, but he wasn't all that threatening and there was no real sense of antagonistic, him as an antagonistic force for the, the, the other group of characters either. I don't. I don't really think he was supposed to be, though. And I, I mean, I, d- I don't get that impression. I don't think they were ever setting out for him to be sort of the main, the main villain. You know, obviously at the beginning he sort of abducts, <laughs> um, you know, he abducts Orso and takes him away and does all that. But he he never seems to be the the proper sort of menacing villain. I mean, that's you know that's why you've got Grand Moff Tark in there. You've got Darth Vader in there. You've got the Death Star, which is ultimately the most threatening bit about the film. Yeah, you know that's the thing that's got the countdown on it permanently. So you're, I, I don't think he was particularly supposed to be the grand villain of the whole piece. And I think sort of seeing one of these sort of flawed Empire henchmen, for want of a better word, running about was actually quite good. You know, he's running about to sort of save his own skin as much of anything else. And and he's he seems really unprepared to be sort of fighting such a small little battle. Um, you know, because he's been used to, you know, not so much the admin work, but he's been in the background making sure that the Death Star gets assembled. Yeah. But not necessarily making battle plans or, you know, preparing invasion forces or defending bases. Yeah. And he doesn't seem to have really the respect of a lot of people that are around him. I mean, at the end, when he's in the control room and the battle's breaking out, no one's particularly listening to what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kat, what did you think of Krennic? I, I I touched upon this briefly earlier. I found him to just be, you know, just like angry, shouty man. Um, I... I'm going to try and, like, watch the film again with what uh, Chris has said in mind. Um, just, like, you know, the fact that he is... Because he isn't in charge, that that is narratively useful. I would have thought I expected him, from the trailers and stuff, I expected him to be a lot more important in, in the hierarchy... And the fact that he wasn't kind of threw me off, um, and he was just incompetent um, in a lot of ways, and so his his role felt undeserved. Yeah, there was a bit of a disconnect as well, because when he confronts Jin at the end, 
on the the platform. Mm-hmm. There's kind of the the implication there that there's some kind of history, as in I've been chasing you for ages, sort of thing. But he oh hasn't. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that to me, I connected it with just you know the fact that he had her father for so many years, and yeah, you know, like that 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 was that. But yeah, just I don't know. I wasn't that scared of him as a villain, which I think was the problem. Yeah. Um, and maybe maybe that's why they brought in Tarkin to just kind of like infuse that whole kind of side of things with a little more gravitas. Uh, but the fact that they needed to do that just kind of makes him a bit useless. Like I don't I don't get a why he's there or you know like why he is like this. Um, he just felt a bit of a con- like a bit of a construct, you know, just kind of shoehorned in there so that I don't know we can have a dude that isn't Moff Tarkin. Yeah. I'm not. I'm just yeah. Like I no, I, I wasn't into the uh, into him. I don't know. I think one of the reasons that he's around is because you needed some sort of Empire villain that was disposable by the end. You know, because you know, you know, obviously with them going in, they knew they were going to have to wipe him out at mm. some point to explain why he isn't on the Death Star later. Yeah. Um, you can't kill off Grand Moff Tarkin, you can't kill off Darth Vader, so you sort of needed this Empire villain, this mid-tier villain to come in, so basically so that they had someone that they could get rid of by the end and could explain it away why this character's never mentioned and never appears again. Mm. Well, I quite liked okay, it once yeah. the- once they proved the Death Star worked, Tarkin was like, right, that's cool, I'll take it from here, you go away and do something else. And it was just the, hey, this is mine, you know. <laughs> yeah. I guess he was possessive, I suppose, that's about all you can say about him. No, oh, I mean, possessive, selfish, ambi- ambitious, but not enough, n- not good enough to, to merit that kind of, you know, like he wouldn't have gotten promoted or you know, given more leeway or more control because yeah. he, like, you know, at every turn, he failed to do what was necessary, you know? Like, he, he just kept, you know, all the all the, the good guys just kept slipping between his fingers and he was <laughs> like, well, you know, oh, I'm just going to, like, yell a lot. Like, I just don't... Yeah, the, the, as, I, as I said, like, he wasn't threatening enough. He was just... Mm. And perhaps this kind of ties back into, like, we knew where this was going. This is a prequel to A New Hope. We kind of, do do we get, is there a line in A New Hope to say that people have died so that we can get these plans or something like that? No, it's in Return of the Jedi, the many Ah, Bothans died line. It's about the only contribution Mon Mothma had until this film. Mm. So, so, you know, like, we kind of, like, I, I had the sense that, you know, I'm going to go watch a film none of these characters are going to survive. And they don't. Yeah. And the thing about knowing the ending is that the in-between bits become less interesting, or to me at least they do. Like, unless the story is groundbreaking in some way, telling me something that we couldn't have foreseen, we couldn't have known. Um, yeah, I don't know. I suppose. I suppose the... the the story of how the design flaw got in there is that kind of groundbreaking element, the, the one thing that we didn't know about about the Death Star and the plans, etc. But, yeah, like, 
it just kind of rendered the entire story a little superfluous. And yeah, you as could definitely such, take this, you know, you could, yeah, you could definitely take this film or leave it. I mean, it's not an essential watch, but it's a fun little aside if you want to experience it. Mm, a very say. expensive fun little aside. Yeah. Yeah, there was oh, there was a lot of money thrown at it. I mean, it was all there on screen, I would say. And uh, I thought the action sequences, when they finally happened, were were incredible. Um, that last act, the the big the big battle on however many fronts, was probably the best mm. thing we've seen in Star Wars, to be honest. I just really liked when the the first star destroyer appears, and it looks like a tower of Legos. <laughs> Yeah, a nice homage to 70s model work. Yeah, just the first appearance of the Star Destroyer. And and, because it comes out of the darkness, like into bright, stark daylight. And it's just like, oh, my God, it looks it looks built. It looks real. And maybe it was, you know, maybe they actually built a model. Who knows? Like, and if they didn't, that's excellent CGI work. Um, they must still have the models lying around, so they probably. Oh, I'm it. sure. I'm sure. It it just it just looked perfect. The fact that it was all just like you know that that it looked like a tower of Legos just kind of connected it all to the original trilogy. Yeah. Um. In in the same way that um the, the computer graphics, um, I really like that they never updated the look of the computer graphics. Uh, on on the X wings, on on you know the spaceships, uh, on the rebel base, like it all just looks like, you know, kind of that now it's cute and adorable and dated and and you know like like you look at the uh, the, the aiming mechanism that Luke uses to you know like fire fire his tor- like torpedoes his laser his I don't know spaceship gun. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that I'm sci-fi term, spaceship. Yes, yes, the spaceship, yes, spaceship cannon. cannon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there we go. You know, like I'm not. As I said, I'm kind of fresh, f- freshly arrived into this fandom. I'm not. I'm not mm-hmm. very well versed in the terms. But um, yeah, like you know how it all just kind of looks really quaint and cute now. I like that they kept that. Um, yeah, because the, the they attention to detail in the uh, in the Death Star control room as well. You know, mm-hmm, it was the same exactly. switches that were getting flicked and the same buttons that were getting pressed and all that stuff. No, I mean, yeah, I, I was wondering if that was stock footage for a while, to be honest. Yeah. I'd, I'd need to watch it again to have a look. But, yeah, it looked so similar. And like you say, the graphics of the the sort of targeting sequence for the Death Star and everything all just look spot on. You know, they've not updated the graphics. So I think there'd be a bit of an outcry if they went and started overlaying all the screens. Yeah. You know, with with sort of more modern looking graphics, because even George yeah. Lucas hasn't done that. Yeah, yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, not anymore. He won't um, get to now. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Yeah, I loved all that, and um, there was things like, I mean, during the the space battle scene, one thing that really stuck out to me is you get to see these kind of lumbering ships do things that you wouldn't get to see in the 70s because the technology just didn't exist. You know, like mm. uh, you could, you never saw an X-Wing maneuver like that in the original trilogy because they just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And that, um, that scene where they uh, shove one star destroyer into another, that was just, you know, you wouldn't get that in the 70s. It's just not possible. But it, it looked amazing. Oh, it's just great. And being able to disable the ship and then just push one into the other. Was, yeah. Mm. 
that. It was great. I mean, once once one of the ships was disabled, you sort of knew roughly where it was going to go. Either it was going to crash into the gate all by itself, or they were going to shove it in there. That's <laughs> yeah. No, I thought that was an excellent uh, excellent use of that. Yeah, and it was good to see the the Imperial Walkers again, even though they're still useless. Really, you know these four legged things that take forever to get nowhere. I know, like it's every time that they, they they bring them out as like this big threat, and it's like these things. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> like they just seem very cumbersome, and I don't even want to know what it takes to maintain them. You know, like the, with the long spindly legs, that that can't be practical just from from a maintenance point of view. You know, <laughs> even for getting into them. I mean, what what do you do? Do you need to? climb up the side and and, and, oh, and get in you know are, are, are you rope climbing on your way in there um, i imagine what happened is the empire bought a lot of them and then when they realized how rubbish they were they got told they couldn't refund them eh. yeah what you i know, think we, is we, they we, bought, from... we bought a couple thousand of these things I, I, they're not really doing what we want <laughs> take them back no i think no. i think they launch from giant hangars so people just kind of get to them from gantries that are above them that's my thinking. I, I prefer my idea. I think they climb up the legs. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I like the rope climbing better. It's more cinematic. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I mean, I, I know, I know the whole gantry thing is a lot more practical. Mm. But, well, you saw yeah. him. You saw Luke with his grapple gun get up, get up to one in Empire Strikes Back. So, oh, that's true. Yep. There's another way. Uh, the, the one I found really weird. If, I'm, I'm sure I saw one where where it didn't have any. Um, Midsection, it was like a hollowed out middle. Yeah, and I, I, I was like, I was thinking, what or the something. hell did they use that one for? At least the other one, <laughs> sort of as a transport, it has space in it and and all that. This other one's got a big gap in the middle of it. Yeah, it's maybe if they fire lasers at us, there's a chance they might pass through us. <laughs> <laughs> they seem to go down quite easy as well. They're like no match for an X-wing. I mean, exactly. If it all just comes back down to the spindly legs, like you shoot. Yeah. You shoot that, and yeah, like it's it's not it's not like a tank that has you know a, a, a bit more sturdiness to it. Like you know, you just shoot the legs right out of it, and oh, poof, there, there we go. <laughs> yeah. But the the shot where they came out of the it wasn't quite missed, but where they you know where they just appeared through the um, through the trees and stuff that was really that was really well shot. I thought that was cool. Yeah. I guess they're intimidating, even if they're a bit useless. I mean, the size of it will definitely be intimidating, but just, you know, even though that scene was well shot, I couldn't help but think, you didn't hear that? You weren't hearing that, like, that whole time? It's not that these machines are very fast, you know? They can't sneak up on you. Yeah. And, like, suddenly they turn around and it's like, oh, shit! (laughs) There's these things, and it's like, you did... Seriously? <laughs> like, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure that you should have heard that a long time ago. Uh, but, you know, for, for dramatic purposes, I guess not. Yeah. Um, I, I was just, I like to see them because, you know, it's mm-hmm. it, it tickles the nostalgia bone, I suppose. Oh, and for sure. Like, Yay, they're back. You know, and um, I was kind of, I was really excited by that whole action sequence anyway. I just thought it was like really well done. Even though you had no reason to be invested in the the rebel fleet, um, because there was no one there that you cared about, everyone was on the surface. I was still mm-hmm. kind of invested in them succeeding. 
which is, you know, something that the Phantom Menace fails to do, actually. They've just got a bunch of pilots that you never met before getting shot at, and who cares? But uh, for some reason, it managed to be quite investing, because I suppose maybe it's because they were only a distraction for the, the smaller mission that was going on down the surface. I think the, the sort of street battle, actually, um, in, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the planet again. It's Jeddah. not Jeddah was um was probably uh, one bit that sort of stood out of me it's, it's something that we haven't quite seen before um you know a sort of uh, occupation and the, the fight back and everything like that i quite liked um uh, donnie yen's character the little the little fight that he does I, I thought was great the big battle at the end i enjoyed um i i, I thought it was great especially sort of initial stages where it's such a small team and they're making it seem as if, like they say, make ten feel like a hundred uh, at the beginning. I thought was great. You know that that sort of catch them by surprise thing worked really yeah. well. Yeah, it makes it really feel like a rebellion. You know, there's only a few of us, but we have to we have to spread them out. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That was um, that was really well done. And then when the rebels just came in, I was like, "Yay! This is amazing!" You know, um, it was kind of yeah. There was nothing that disappointed me about it. And um, one thing that did stand out was Darth Vader's uh, small action scene where he just demolishes the the rebels in the corridor. Uh, this is true. It he, it was a very dynamic scene, um, much more dynamic than we've ever seen him do in the original trilogy. Obviously, for for reasons that you know they couldn't they couldn't have shot a lot of these things back then. Um, yeah. You know, so so a lot of his scenes were just based on the tension um, from his presence, just, you know, people being really afraid of him. Uh, it was great to see, you know, Darth Vader in action. Um, and also, oh, yeah, here's a bit that stood out a little. Um, when when uh, Krennic goes to, um, well, Darth Vader's... <laughs> Um, evil lair of evilness with the with the lava and the, his volcano like, castle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the, you know, I I detected a very heavy Two Towers influence, a very heavy yeah, Lord like, of the Rings um, vibe. Or it's like Krennic's going to visit Skeletor or something. <laughs> and it was that it was that kind of vibe, and I suppose that that makes it feel a bit a new hope ish in that sense as well, because you do have that, you know, of course this villain's going to have a lair, yeah. You know. He's gonna have a, he's gonna have a base somewhere, but can, can you imagine how much he's having to spend on air conditioning in there? <laughs> it's all right. He's in his little bath. Yeah, he's he's in his spa at the time, so it's <laughs> so it's all right. I mean, I, I really liked Vader in this. I think they 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 shot him so well. You know, it made him proper scary again. You know, where I think some of that was sort of lost. Uh, in a way, but he, he just seemed really like a really scary, proper villain character. Um, getting to see him be a bit of a badass and and, and taking on <laughs> just yeah. plowing through those soldiers uh, to get to the the data disc, I think was great. Yeah, although I suppose it creates a bit of a continuity error when he's just lumbering again when he fights Obi Wan in A New Hope. Yeah, well, you know, it's just two old men <laughs> waving sticks at each other, isn't it? I mean, similarly with the X-Wings, you know, like having seen them maneuver the way they do in Rogue One and then going to see A New Hope after that, it's like, you know, it just, 
accentuates the the, the quaintness of it all. You know, like yeah. oh, cute nineteen seventies graphics. Oh, bless. Yeah. Um, but you know, online, that, though, you just take it. Yeah. Yeah. So a theory online that uh, that explains why Vader isn't uh, as badass in A New Hope when it comes to fighting is because he's like drained his batteries uh, during the events of Rogue One. <laughs> so like his suit only has a certain amount of power. And uh, he used it all getting, you know, trying to get the plans back. Well, he's, I he's think not, that'd be cool. He's, he's, <laughs> not, he's not been to his lava castle to sort <laughs> of... Uh, yeah, he's, yeah, not yeah. He's, yeah. Not, he's not had his relaxing spa experience, <laughs> so he's feeling yeah. a bit worn out, you know? Uh, <laughs> it works. I, th- I think yeah. that's a cool way to look at it, yeah. Yeah, let us nerds fill in the blanks, why not? <laughs> yeah. yeah, also the film was made like 40 years ago, so let's like... Let's just accept that these things are going to look better because it's more modern technology. You, you exactly. were going to have a bit of that transition anyway, going from the prequels into A New Hope was going to yeah. look a bit weird, you know, because of the, yeah. the graphics and the ships and everything. I mean, the technology yeah. in the prequels looks a lot fancier than the technology from A New Hope. That's because yeah. it's clean, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and... Everything in the original trilogy is all grimy and dirty because it's all lived in and no one has time to wash their spaceships anymore. So, uh, yeah, the, everything in, in uh, the prequel trilogy is very kind of glossy and brand new looking because it kind of is. But there's a bit of grime on the, the clone troopers stuff because, uh, you know, their, their suits look a bit battle worn and stuff. But, you know, that's probably enough chat about the prequels. <laughs> yeah. It, and there was the lived-in aspect in this film, definitely. But um, I don't know if Vader's suit runs out of power or not. You know, I'm kind of okay with it if it doesn't. But I did think his appearance in the film was almost pointless to a degree. Like his conversation with Krennic didn't really add anything. And then, mm. as cool as his action sequence was, it didn't really need to be there either. I think his talk with Krennic didn't require the visit to the lava castle. I mean, I think <laughs> I think really it could have been achieved over a hologram. As we've seen quite a few times before in Star Wars, they're a big fan of the whole hollow chamber thing. Yeah. You know, that that's all you really needed was Vader coming on and going, right, you've completely cocked this up. I'm going to have to deal with this myself. Yeah. Hey, we will be having words when I see you kind of thing. And that would have been enough. Then give the Vader moment later on when he breaks through the, you know, when the saber lights up in the corridor and basically through the dark. I think that would have been a better introduction to Vader in this movie than having him floating in his spa in a lava castle. (laughs) You know, you, you, you just, you put him, you put him as a projection or not at all, or just keep him there as the threat through the whole thing. Once you've got him going, right, I'm going to have to come and solve this because you've, completely mess this up um then you know i think that probably would have worked better it's either that or there's been a huge section sort of cut out or rewritten around about that Mm. that would explain why he sort of diverted en route (laughs) to go and see vader and go yeah i'm I'm, I'm sorry i've I've made a mess (laughs) (laughs) i think um, maybe if vader had been on all the same scenes that tarkin was in his presence would have felt more worthwhile yeah, you could have had him as a sort of silent observer or throwing in yeah. a few lines from the side. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it might 
it might have made sense, or were they sort of saving him up for the end? I, I don't know. Like like I say, if he had just appeared as a hologram and then had his sort of moment of being a badass at the end, I think that yeah. would have been enough. I, I just don't understand why he went on this sort of space trip to go and see him when we've sort of already established it's very easy for them to do the little hologram call. Yeah, and it was at the end when he was watching Leia's ship escape. You know, he obviously he knew that that's the plans were on there. But in A New Hope, the dialogue suggests that they only think the plans are on there. Ah, but you, you don't know how much time has passed between the two, though. The, the implication is that it's pretty instant. He like He's in a Star Destroyer already, so he just goes right after them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I would, I wouldn't say that it's even an implication. Like, yeah. the the end of Rogue One is pretty much the first few seconds of A New Hope, yeah. so it's it's it should be seamless. Yeah. So technically, I mean, the I think the only way that I would circle around that is, um, like, yeah, like they don't know for sure that the plans are on there because of everything that has happened, so that the plans get onto that chip, like. You know, like it was, it was all like pretty much. They didn't have time to check anything. It was transmitted from the island onto, uh, well, through through that that weird gate in the in the sky thingy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sci-fi terms, guys. Actual actual term, the sky thingy. Um, so yes, yeah, so it was transmitted onto the ship, the rebel ships, um, and then they put the information onto the chip, and then like vader tried to kill everybody who had it so you know it's just like i don't know we have a chip does this have the plans i don't know like here um so you know like that's that's the 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 way that i would kind of connect the two because yeah i mean i don't think that they were thinking about prequels when they made a new hope no definitely not it was supposed to be yeah chuck you in at the middle of a story and and you follow it from there um yeah yeah, i just I don't yeah, know why the sort of capital ship didn't just retransmit it to all the other ships in the fleet once it had it. And yeah. then, you know, each one sort of jumping in a different direction. Well, it was only yeah. on that one floppy disk, so, you know. But they copied it onto that one floppy disk. They could copy it onto 20 floppy disks. <laughs> there wasn't time. <laughs> I like the relay rates, though, you know, as it was going from person to person to person. Yeah, and, uh, that was, oh, yeah. was kind of cool, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, that guy was trying to get through the door, and then he realized it just wasn't happening. So he said, take this, I'm, I'm dead. But <laughs> please take this. And I mean, then ex- that guy gets impaled through the door, and he has to give it to someone else. And just, it was just really so, good. It sort of explains why, when you see the opening scene of New Hope, why everyone in the corridor is absolutely papping themselves. <laughs> yeah. You know, because they, they know what's coming next. Yeah. Uh, turns out a bunch of stormtroopers, and then Vader walks in. So it doesn't do anything. So they got off easy, I suppose. <laughs> uh, it also explains why they're at Tatooine, where it just seems completely random, but they're there to pick up Obi-Wan, as it's mentioned. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Mon Mothma says, maybe you should enlist that Jedi friend of yours. And he says, uh, Jimmy Smith says, I'll send for him. And that's what he's doing with Leia. Mm-hmm. So they're going to Yavin via Tatooine, I suppose. So it ties that in quite nicely. Uh, yeah, like I said, continuity mostly stacks up, I think. There are there are a few niggles here and there, but on the whole, it it does lead almost seamlessly into A New Hope. Mm-hmm. Unless there's any other things that really don't stack up that I missed. 
I think I think my main one my main one I I I had an issue with we we resolved earlier. Clearly, my memory of the original films is not very good because I think I think it's been about a year since I last watched them, hmm. and yeah, I just couldn't remember whether R two D two and C three PO know each other before A New Hope begins. Because then, like when we see them on the base together at um, in, in Rogue One, I just had a feeling that like, don't they meet in A New Hope? It's they're not together at the start of the film because Leia's off like recording her message. Um, That's right. Yeah, but they yeah, but then dialogue isn't C three PO, but isn't C three PO Luke's? Uh, C three PO is on that ship as well. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah, because they both get in the escape pod together. Oh, that's right. Yes, they do. Oh, okay. See? Terrible memory. Terrible memory, <laughs> guys. I am absolutely awful. Like, I, I watched these last year at Christmas. So it was, yeah, it was about about a year ago. Um, and, yeah, like, I've already kind of forgotten. Like, how do you forget these things? Ha. Huh. Anyway, it's fine. I think it's, I thank think you, it's really good. Thank things. you for assuaging my... my <laughs> My worries. <laughs> of the Star Wars timeline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's really cool that you could, like, take out the, the Blu-ray of this one and shove in a new hope and they follow almost immediately. Yeah, you know, I mean, very The special few, effects quality goes down. Do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> of course. But yeah, so I guess it's a proper... Well, people say it's a bridge between the prequels and the the original trilogy, but it's not because there are no prequel elements in there, really. Mm-hmm. Very few, very few that that we touched upon. Yeah, I think like, you get, like you get Leia's father like and things like, like that. that. Yeah, yeah. I think Leia's father's about it, actually. Mm. Yeah. I mean, one of my biggest kind of problems with with the prequels and and then A New Hope is that I don't think that there's enough to connect Anakin with Darth Vader. Like the no, problem, the problem lies in that like it's it's supposed to be Darth Vader's origin story, the three prequel films. Yeah. But, but like even at the end of the third film, like you just don't. I I at least don't feel like we know Darth Vader any better. We met this kid who grew up and became like this terrible person, but is that Darth Vader yet? Like it just like is not satisfying, and. Yeah, but I mean, I, I guess I guess that's most most people's problem, really. They can solve that in the Darth Vader solo film that's sure to come out at some point. Do you think? Oh, I, I think it will get to a point where it'll be like, mm, what do we do next? We ran out of stuff. Uh, Darth Vader. Darth Vader, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and I don't know if that would be interesting or not. Maybe it would depend how you approach it, I suppose. Mm. But yeah, you're following a guy in a. The vinyl suit for two and a half hours or however long it'll be so it can be a two and a half hours of just man pain you know <laughs> just like suffering endless like meow meow my wife said this so I <laughs> like left and like this guy sort of seduced me with the force and you know I left everything that I had and then I guess I have children. Do I have children? <laughs> I don't know what's going on. So this, I'm going to hide in this man cave of lava and, and cry. Like <laughs> that, that sounds like his counseling session. <laughs> <laughs> Two and a half hours of this, guys. 
and you could have him, um, you know, haunted by Natalie Portman or something. Uh, it's, it's it's horrible. It's all horrible. I've said too much. So so yeah. so, Mister Vader, we hear you've been uh, taking your anger and frustration out of your employees. Uh, we've mandated <laughs> that you go to a two-hour counselling session. Um, <laughs> If your behaviour doesn't improve, it may result in a disciplinary action that could yeah. lead to your dismissal. Yeah, and, and you know, so Darth Vader forced to go into <laughs> grievance counselling, group therapy, and all this stuff. Yeah. Well, oh, well, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure the writers will be on the phone any minute, going, "These guys have yeah. ideas uh, for other got for it. other You've got it, guys for other burn victims as well." Uh, my 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 other um, uh, my other suggestion is Akbar the movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know a sort of Akbar origins. I'm thinking. I'd watch an Admiral Akbar origin movie. It, it's got to be called Akbar the movie, though, to just so mm. that you know they're taking it seriously. Yeah, I would, I'd actually be more interested in a Lando origin story than a Han Solo one, because you know less about Lando because he's he's only mm. in a few scenes, really. Yeah, but I mean, it, he will be in the in the solo in the Han Solo film. He will, yeah. So, Played by so Donald I'm, Glover, who yeah, oh, is I nothing like so Billy D. Williams, though. <laughs> oh, it's okay. <laughs> I think I think he'll do a great job. Nothing like him. I mean, like, what what, what exactly would you need him to look like? I don't know. I th- I think he'll do a great job. It's more the it's I'm, more the smarminess that he needs to pull off. Oh, I think he can do that. He can do that. I I. I have faith in him. Um, I, I think he's a great actor. Uh, and I mean, you know, like I've been reading about, um, like what he said about the concept of, of cool having changed, uh, <laughs> from, from then to now, you know, like, you know, Lando still needs to be like this cool guy. Um, but you know, what was cool in the seventies is very different from what is cool now. And, that's going to have to translate somehow. They're going to have to play with that and see what sticks. Um, I'm kind of I'm kind of excited about the Han Solo film actually. Mm. Um, I quite like Alden Ehrenreich, uh, who's the new Han Solo. I'm not quite sure about Amelia Clark being in it. And, oh, and she in it? How, oh God! Yeah, she's got cast, and I'm not I'm not sure how I feel about this. Um, but but we'll see. You know, like I don't want to knock it till till it's there and we can see it and see what what they're what they've come up with um but i'm really excited about donald glover's take on lando and just like to see what what stories they'll come up with for perhaps for a world without the force because it's quite interesting that han solo comes into this whole skywalker like family drama not believing that any of that is real yeah like, so, so there is a big part of this universe that never comes in touch with the Force. Um, th- there was a, a, quite a bit of it in um, Rogue One with um, with the blind guy and and his kind of affinity with the Force. Perhaps yeah. you know, like he wasn't he wasn't a Jedi yet, but he had he was definitely Force sensitive. Or he would have um, been a Jedi if they hadn't been wiped out. If, if he'd had the yeah yeah exactly. Um, so, you know, I think it'll be interesting, like sort of going back to what you guys were saying at the beginning of the podcast, um, to just kind of fill the gaps of the universe, of the world of, at large, rather than 
just this one family and their <laughs> problems. Like, uh, I mean, you know, it it is the definition of a space opera. You know, it's it's a soap opera set in space. Yeah. So of course, it's about this one family and their problems. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, creating this vast, believable world creates all sorts of opportunities to tell other stories that don't involve Han and Leia and Luke and all of that, you know, like I think it will be really cool to see where they take it from here. Provided, of course, like I'm the only thing about the Han Solo film that I'm not very confident about is that again, it's a prequel. So we sort of know where things are headed. It would be great to get a fresh story where we don't know any of the parameters or perhaps we know some of the parameters, but, like to leave it open enough for us to care to to invest in something new rather than oh let's find out how they did this thing that we already know how it turns out um and and because both Rogue One and the Han Solo film are within that territory um I don't know I'm a little up- apprehensive of course super excited still um, and obviously, I'm gonna go see it no matter what. But um, yeah, let's face it. I think I think we need a little bit of a new direction there. Yeah, the thing about the, the Han Solo film you mentioned about no one believing him, not believing in the Force at all. But like mm. Jedi would have been alive and quite heavily, you know, they'd been kicking about in his lifetime. So it's mm. kind of like it's a bit like us saying that the Beatles didn't exist. You know, because it wasn't that long ago the Jedi were around, but that's the problem that the prequels have created, I suppose. Yeah. You know, not enough time has passed for the Jedi to fall in a legend, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of similar with The Force Awakens. Like, there's been... So how many years have passed from um, the end of... Oh my god, I'm drawing a blank. Return of the Jedi. It's about 30 years, I think. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, and then they're like, oh, what? Luke Luke Skywalker is a real person? I thought he was a legend. It's like, ha- like it hasn't been that long. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and that's generally, you know, I, I don't know. Perhaps, perhaps, like, the concept of time in this, in this universe, in this galaxy, you know, like, how, how quickly things fall into legend. I, I don't know if that's if that's what the well what they're trying to say here. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know propaganda. It, uh, I don't I don't know if it's because of, sort of scale. You know, when you imagine the sort of size of the universe, how long it takes a story like that to travel, and until you've heard it from two or three proper sources, you probably wouldn't believe it. Well, I mean, if you look at the time of the um, the time of a new hope, you know, you'll have people who are you know, still relatively young who would have known about the Jedi temples across the galaxy and, mm-hmm. you know, would have probably met some Jedi because they weren't exactly in hiding. You know, there were there were generals at the, you know, at the front of a an army, you know, that, that was fighting a war across the whole galaxy. So, you know, again, it's a problem the prequels have created because A New Hope, when you watch it, it's kind of, it talks about the Force as being an ancient religion and things like that and uh, Vader knows about it and Obi-Wan knows about it, but no one else seems to really. And Tarkin kind of laughs at it. It's just a, it's one of those problems that you kind of just have to accept now, I suppose. But um, Han Solo not believing in it, that'll be a hard one to 
to put across in a prequel film, I think. It depends on how they set it, what what the background of the of the story is, if it's going to be a sort of sprawling space epic or if it's just going to be on one planet. Yeah. You know, it, it, it all sort of depends on what they do. I mean, with Rogue One, as we've said already, they sort of set a different tone to it. Yeah. Well, Han Solo is going to tick a lot of boxes. You know, we'll see the Kessel run. We'll see him winning the Falcon in a card game. We'll see, we'll see all that stuff, I think. We'll see him interacting with Jabba the Hutt. We'll we'll see everything that we've been told about. I think whether we need to or not is another story. But well, see, the, uh-huh. the thing is, you know, I, I don't know whether that's the kind of thing that we don't need to see. Yeah, it's the story. It's the stories we've already heard. I mean, I'm winning the Falcon potentially. You know, to set out the story or to finish it, or yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I, you know, those a lot of those are the things that was like, oh well, we know he did this, and we know he did that, and we know he did the other. However, I'm more interested. You know, if there's a point to doing the whole film, I'm more interested in the bits that we didn't know about it. Yeah. Like in the expanded universe, apparently he was training to be an Imperial pilot and things like that. Um, see things like that, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I suppose that'll be part of how he gets started as a smuggler and things like that, but I don't I don't know what they'll do with it. It's it's all up in the air. Um I think I'd like to see a Chewbacca solo film. You know, set before mm-hmm. <laughs> set, set before the prequels where he's just Chewy running about back when he was the size of an Ewok yeah when he's just running about on Kashyyyk roaring at people See, e- either that or the size of a triple I don't know what <laughs> all of the dialogue is just roaring it will just be the Star Wars holiday special but they spent a lot of money on it oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> no we don't want that um, I guess as a final thing uh any other side stories that you'd like to see? You know, even just push the boat out with imagination and be like this little out there story that you might want to see that could take place in this universe. Uh, the assassination of Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> okay, so I have a little aside, which you'll probably you'll probably have to edit out because we're already well over ninety minutes on this. That's uh, okay. Um, <laughs> Um, but okay, so I have a little side story about Jar Jar Binks. So, uh, aside from the fact, the controversial fact, uh, that I don't mind him, um, I never, I never hated him as much as people, people do. Um, there's some real vitriol going around about Jar Jar Binks and I thought he was all right. Um, but there, there are these books that are, um, basically the stories of the Star Wars films, uh, but written in Shakespearean style, I don't know if you've seen them around. I've heard of them, yeah. So it's yeah, it's uh, the the um, uh, the Phantom of Menace, part the first. Uh, <laughs> the Empire striketh back, um, and so you, you know, and it's all written in iambic pentameter, um, Shakespearean kind of vocabulary. Like everything is spot on. And in in the Phantom of Menace, part the first, Jar Jar Binks has uh, lengthy monologues in perfect Shakespearean English, where he justifies the, uh, his annoying language by saying that, I know how to speak normal human language, but um, when I speak like this, people tend to do what I want them to, so I'm going to speak like this. And so, <laughs> he, so so he has like his lengthy monologue, he explains his motivation and everything, and then he goes, Misa Jaja Binks! And it's like, it's brilliant. Like, I think... I, I have accepted this as my headcanon now. This is exactly <laughs> what 
what I think is going on in Jar Jar Binks's brain. Um, if and I do recommend those books if you can get your hands on them. The the Shakespeare um, Star Wars, it's it's hilarious. I they love them awesome. so much. There's yeah, also yeah. the theory that uh, Jar Jar Binks is a very powerful Sith Lord who's manipulating events. I quite like this theory, actually. Um, <laughs> it, it, it shockingly makes a lot of sense. It does. It does. Um, <laughs> I don't think that we'll get to find out at this point because obviously we're not moving in these directions and Lucas is not part of the thing anymore. Um, but it, it's one of the theories that I, I quite enjoy um, and I do I do subscribe to it. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. It makes yeah. it a more enjoyable watch, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I think a side story I would love to see is uh, an old Republic side story. You know, when the Jedi are kind of at their height, uh, where the Sith are also at their height. You know, there's tons of them. There's uh, there's a lot to play with in that you know in that part of the universe, and you don't have to be a slave to canon. You can do whatever you want because it was so long ago. You know. Mm. Now, yeah. I would I would like to see something sort of set in that in that timeline so to speak, because like you say, it is out of canon and it is that kind of legend thing where you've got plenty Jedi to play with, you've got yeah. the Sith, you've got you know a bit of the Republic, you know, the Republic getting built and everything out of the background of it. So no, I, I definitely think that would be worth watching. Yeah, and it can re-canonise characters that were in the old Republic games as well, which would be a good thing. Mm, uh, yeah, I think that would be really cool, like from from a from the perspective of someone who, you know, is is just kind of watching these films um and and trying to get into the 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 extensive lore like it's it's a it's an aspect of the the history of this world that's really fascinating to me and we obviously haven't got to see it yet and I yep. would love to see some of that. Just play Knights of the Old Republic. I'm sure you can get it cheap <laughs> or something. It's good. Yeah, perhaps. It's really good. Mm. Uh so on that note, uh, we should wrap this up. Uh, this chat that's about as long as the film itself. <laughs> oh my gosh, it is. <laughs> yeah. It is. The film is about two hours long, so there we go. Maybe maybe we can superimpose this as, as a commentary. Yeah, so if commentary you're, track. If you're watching Rogue One and also listening to this to this podcast at the same time, because you could be doing that, um, uh, thank you for watching the film with us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Even though we keep jumping around and it doesn't. Yeah, really... yeah. There's no timeline. Yeah, we. we yeah, the, the, it's it's all wibbly wobbly here, but it's but it's okay. Um, so, yes. So final thoughts: Do we like Rogue One or do we not like Rogue One or are we indifferent to Rogue One? I'll I'm start. Say, <laughs> yeah, please, please. I liked it. I really liked it. I was more on board with it than The Force Awakens. It tickled my nostalgia bone a lot. Characters were okay. Uh, I cared enough about them to kind of be upset when they were dead. I liked it, and I would love to watch it again, and possibly again, and possibly again, and I probably will. There's my succinct roundup. <laughs> I uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I liked it as much as The Force Awakens, but for different reasons. I didn't think that this was as much of a nostalgia kick as The Force Awakens was, but I still liked it. It introduced some nice characters. It's a shame that they've, they've sort of wiped them off at the end. <laughs> um, but no, I, I really enjoyed it, and if you're a fan of Star Wars, you'll you'll definitely like it, I think. Yeah. Um, for me, I liked it less than The Force Awakens. Um, 
but it was still it was still fun and I enjoyed it. I wasn't as invested in the fate of the characters um as as perhaps they wanted me to. Um I loved various elements about it, but ultimately I wonder if this this film was needed in in the long run. Um I mean, you know, like as long as a good time is had, I suppose it's fine. Um and as long as it's not a terrible movie, which it isn't, that's also fine. Um, but, you know, there's there's other stories we could be telling. I don't know that this was perhaps the best one to start with. But, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see where this, this endeavor uh, takes Disney and Star Wars, and, you know, at large. I, th- I think it could be really cool. They could do really cool things with it. Fast forward to six years from now where we're doing a podcast about the <laughs> Ewoks third film because there's been two others. Ewok from... movie. I would watch an Ewok movie. <laughs> well, there's yes. two to choose from. Caravan of Courage and I forget what the other one's called. If, if they can release oh, Smurf movies, they can definitely release Ewok movies. But, you know, when we're, when we're at the point where they've really ran out of ideas and we're like, oh my God, here we are talking about another Star Wars movie. <laughs> it could It could go either way. We might get sick of it, we might not. Mm-hmm. So on that depressing bombshell, I suppose the film ends on a depressing note, so the podcast might as well. Uh, I, and since we're recording on the 20th of December, may the Christmas be with you. You had that no? written down again, didn't you? <laughs> no, I didn't. Yes, you did. <laughs> no. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh-huh. So... Thank you, Kat, for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And Chris, thanks, as always, for participating. Thank you again. Awards to everyone for participating. Medals for everyone. Yay! Yay, medals! (laughs) The taking part that counts. Yay! So, that was our discussion on Rogue One. We hope you were entertained, and if you were, please do subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, or any major podcasting app, and join us on the next Neil Before Pod. On behalf of everyone on Neil Before Pod and Neil Before Blog, I'd like to say again, may the Christmas be with you.